Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Grizzly fans, happy Halloween and welcome to this edition of The Core Four, one of the featured podcasts on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. My name is David Buckler, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, MG, Matt Gill, and Zaytime, Xavier Dotson. Great to be with you both. We have a lot to cover today, roughly now two weeks into the regular season. We are taping this Sunday evening, October 30th, and right now the Grizzlies sit at four and two after a disheartening loss to the Utah Jazz last night, who suddenly looked like the Carl Malone and John Stockton teams of the 90s. By the way, Malik Beasley, not my favorite player in the league. It's the eventual game clincher. Ugh. So before the season, I predicted 6-4 and four for the first 10 games. We are tracking towards that. Matt, turning to you, what are some of your initial thoughts headed into this next week of basketball? Yeah, I mean... We both had said six and four, and I think that that was the right number. And we both said this Utah back-to-back in the Portland game on Mondays – or, uh, excuse me, on Wednesday is going to be super tough. So, like, I think we're right where we expected to be, you know. I don't think there's any any reason to worry right now. They were without Ja, who clearly was um, not himself against Sacramento as well. So, I think they – you know, to have an opportunity to win that game right at the end in a really tough environment still speaks pretty highly of these guys. So, Xavier, we are six games in. This coming week, we're at Utah, of course, another one in Utah. We play Portland Wednesday, Charlotte Friday, and then sort of wrap up the week there with the uh, the Wizards uh, at home on Sunday. How should Grizzlies fans be feeling at this point in the season? I think they should be feeling pretty well. Um, here we are. We played a tough game last night against Utah. Utah, obviously, is not tanking, by the way. <laughs> They're actually playing actual good basketball. but. We, we handled our own. I know that was a tough loss, but, I mean, we were without Ja, LaRavia, and uh, a bunch of other guys. And guys are stepping up. Deep bench players are stepping up, and guys are filling in roles. So I'm actually pretty impressed. Um, we got a long week ahead of us. I mean, it's a competitor teams against teams that we thought that would, could have been bottom-tier teams. So the Grizzlies got to come out here and be ready to play ball. But at the end of the day, I'm really impressed, and I'm happy with what I'm seeing. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, last night, no jaw, no Laravian. It's like, could we just run a healthy team out there? I mean, honest to God, this is like stretched into last season, stretched into the playoffs of last year. I just feel like we have all these really, really good players, and the injury report is – it's like it's like watching like Friday the 13th. You got to watch it like, like through your hands like a horror show. It's so depressing game to game, and I'm just getting frustrated that the injury report – it's just every day it's like, oh, now, you know, Zaire's out for a month and Laravia is not playing tonight. And 
I'm getting a little frustrated by that. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I understand it is frustrating. You want to see those guys out there at the Grizzlies at its full health, but it's bringing opportunities for guys like Laravia and Roddy, and they're uh, honoring the moment. So I'm 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 happy that they're actually playing some good ball. But at the same time, I do want to see Zaire, Danny Green, and Jaron out there at our full max potential, so we can really see how this Grizzlies team can be at its full potential. Hey, hey Matt, a little weird, right? To play like in Utah Saturday and then like in Utah again Monday. That's a rare back-to-back like in the same city, right? Super tough, super tough. I mean, that's a really tough environment. Obviously, the altitude's always been on their side. They have really good fans who are, you know, packed that stadium. And obviously, Will Hardy's got those guys playing really hard. They they didn't get the message they're tanking, so they're going to come out and try to win that game. The, uh, you know, the other weird thing, I think everybody wanted to see Mike Conley um, suit up for the Jazz. Obviously, you know, Memphis fans uh, – hold him near and dear to their hearts so that that was um disappointing so I would I would like to see I don't know what their injury report looks like but I'd like to see him in that next matchup as well but yeah I mean you know you see those all over the NBA now and I kind of like it where you see these kind of like mini series almost where you have these back-to-back games you know not back-to-back nights but two games in a row against the same team um gives you the opportunity to make adjustments into that next matchup which we'll see um what the Grizzlies kind of draw up for the uh, second game against Utah Yeah, that's a good point, because they say like during the NBA season, because of the travel and the way the schedule shakes out, teams don't get to practice together a lot and really sit back and look at film and work on some things. Xavier, I would think, you know, being in Utah really now for for three, four days, the team really gets to come together, maybe tweak some things that we saw early in the season. Yeah, I know. um, I'm I'm pretty sure that the Grizzlies didn't expect Utah to make, was it 17 threes last night? So. I know they're going to the film room like we're not allowing this again. And I was looking in the fourth quarter watching that game of how many turnovers that the Grizzlies were giving up and just was going into the paint and uh, overcommitting. And while the Utah Jazz was hot shooting those threes. So, I mean, they, they're able now to like, OK, we know what they did to beat us last game. I mean, we, we lost by one point. We know what the adjustments to making who who to guard and who to watch out for. So I, I actually enjoy, yeah, being able to play those guys back-to-back so the adjustments can be right there fresh on their mind. That's a good point. Yeah, it's a good game tomorrow night. Let's jump into today's featured topics, starting with Xavier's X's and O's. Now, this week we'll be focusing on Zaire Williams. News came out that our second-year rising star will miss four to six weeks of action. Uh, it does hit particularly hard given the other injuries and roster holes that we may have right now. Xavier, what does this mean for Coach Jenkins and his staff? How do we navigate with without Zaire for the next month at least? So, yeah, sadly, we what the, we we heard the news. Zaire is out for basically a month to, to a few weeks going into next, next month. And so with Zaire, we got somebody that's another wing deal and another scorer, obviously. So you look down the bench and see who's going to be able to step up and play his position and give us our six-man role. So at the beginning of the season, we've seen John Conchark in there because Dylan has been out. John Conchark can be a guy, but I want to point out somebody who's been playing pretty well was Jake LaRavia. LaRavia stepped up against that Kings game. Um, he stepped up playing at three three or four position, whatever that what Taylor Jenkins asked for him. And he said in that post-game interview, when all the guys was together saying, Sue, <laughs> that, the, that the coaching staff 
uh, really encouraged him to crash the to crash the glass really hard. And he did a great job against it, against that, doing that against the Kings. He dropped 13 points, was three for four from the three-point line, and he played some big minutes. But what I'm really impressed by LaRavia is his defense. He was helping, he was stopping the defenders, and he was not ball watching. So Zaire, he's going to give you the defense, and he's going to give you the scoring. If LaRavia can come in and be that guy and help play out, play those tough wings, I'm not saying he needs to draw and, and be that main guy to guard the best opponent team, best player. I just want him to be out there, at least play some pretty good defense, make those timely threes, and we should see another guy that's coming up our rotation in the development growth at an early rate like we, we saw from Zaire last year. So from an X and O standpoint, I agree with you. I wanted to ask you, Matt, I thought that post-game interview with Arabia was a pretty big deal because it seems like he's fitting right into the culture. Teammates are, are loving him. And I, I really liked what I saw from that. I think that's a big part of professional sports is these guys being a part of the team and feeling like they belong. Did you take away kind of what Xavier was looking at there? Like, you know, Zaire may be out for about a month, six weeks, but Arabia could be that guy to, to, to kind of slide in there. Yeah, the silver lining of not having Zaire is it's given these rookies, both LaRavia and Roddy, an opportunity to get some run and some really low stakes uh, games to start out and get their feet wet. And LaRavia has responded really well. You know, we talked about who was the most NBA ready when we were talking about the rookies a couple weeks ago. And we all said it was Roddy. Right. And like LaRavia has now found the shooting stroke a little bit and uh, has really turned it up compared to what he looked like in the preseason and the summer league. The defensive thing. He's a really good transition defender, uh, which is, a, you know, something that's you don't see on every play, obviously, because, there's you know, there's so much half-board defense. And Harrison Barnes did actually really give him a lot of problems against um, Sacramento. But he's he's such a plus-plus rebounder. That gave him the opportunity to not have to run those Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman minutes that had been really bad to start out the season. His rebounding really gave them the opportunity to not have to uh, use Tillman in that Sacramento game, which was huge, I thought. Um, and yeah, the, the other part of it is the, is the shooting, which the, it's really easy when you're a rookie and you come into the league and you have a very defined role. And that's clearly what they want out of him is shooting and rebounding. And he did a really good job of that, uh, in that Sacramento game. We'll see how he continues to, um, shoot the ball and rebound and, and be a tough player for him defensively. I, I, I think that, um, you know, he's a really good player, but, and, and once, uh, Zaire does come back, I think that one of the rookies is going to see their their playing time diminished. And right now it looks like it's going to be Roddy, who's going to be the uh, odd man out eventually. But we'll, we'll see what happens once um, Zaire comes back. And there's a lot of time left too, right? Like we said, it's going to be a month before we see Zaire. So Roddy's going to have an opportunity to continue to play, play well, hopefully, and um, put himself in the, in the mix to be in the rotation going forward as well. Yeah, no question. But uh, your point about who's going to be out of the rotation once Zaire comes back, Xavier, is this a kind of injury that you feel could hang on? There'll be some long-term effects. I mean, do we really think four to six weeks is the, is the right time frame? I, I really feel like that is the right thing to do. Um, from what I heard, that this is a previous lingering injury from the Stanford days. So we just don't want things to, to build upon and add up. And like I said, guys are step, stepping up. The foundation of this Grizzlies team is the next man up culture. So we're building more, more trust into our rookies of 
Roddy and Laravia. And even to say about Roddy, Roddy actually had a pretty good game last night against Utah. He, he dropped 12 points and gave some good minutes out there, and he finally found his stroke shooting behind the three-point line. So I'm I'm really impressed. And I'm just I'm just happy that like yes they're fitting in pretty quickly and embracing the culture of like of the next man up and guys are already getting along so I'm I'm happy I'm and I saw what Brevin Knight was said last night that was the first time he ever seen David Roddy smile after he made that three point <laughs> shot and I was happy to see that that made me very happy so I'm I'm happy for these guys are given the opportunity right now. Yeah, I think, though, that when we drafted Zaire Williams, he was such a skinny kid, and, and <laughs> I am worried a little bit about his physical stature. He played a lot of basketball in the summer league. They worked him hard in the preseason. Matt, I mean, again, like, is there a long-term concern here for you? I think the messaging from the team has been, when you look at both his injury and uh, Jaron as well, like they're going to err on the side of caution. Obviously, it now looks like Jaron's going to be back sooner than everybody anticipated. But still, they're going to they they know that this team is built for the future so much more that they don't want to risk long term injury and they don't want to have sunk assets. When you're a small market team like this, you can't um, you know have swing and misses and miss out on these guys' whole careers because you want to rush them back on the floor. And the thing is, like they're going to be able to tread water. Zaire is not a guy that they can't win without. You know, in the same way that Jaw is, they can still get by with patching it together with guys like Conchar, with Dylan Brooks, with Roddy LaRavia. Like they have all these other bodies that they can throw in there that on the aggregate, they can, you know, make up for what Zaire does for them over the long term. So I think that I have no concern with them being super cautious. I would expect that to be the case. Um, and I think it's not going to affect like his spot in the rotation or anything like that. So from that standpoint, for the long term, I have no worries about it. He's going to come back. He's going to, like you said, I mean, we saw a ton of improvement from this kid over the summer league and, and preseason. Like I, I would find it hard to believe that he's going to take a step back now just because of this injury. And I think that, yeah, this front office looks at a player like him uh, that, you know, Jaron Jackson, Bain, Ja, all these guys. And they think let's be, overly cautious at this time in our championship window because we can't risk having long-term injuries on on so many of our core guys you know oh my god it's 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 something else to have a team now with expectations right because i i just want to fast forward to the playoffs and have our team healthy and ready to go and what makes me a little nervous when i look at the roster is the way it's composed is i do think you know like this is an example it stretches our bench a little bit we're going to play other guys and i can't stop thinking about Overall, are we athletic enough to win an NBA championship? John Moran, of course, is unbelievable and, and to the moon. And, you know, and, and Desmond Bain is really playing well lately. Jaron being an all-defensive player, I, I know. But do we have enough athleticism through the rest of the roster when things aren't going well? Who's going to drop 25 against Golden State in, in, in game four next year or something like that in the NBA Finals? If, if John and Morant and Desmond Bain – aren't at the forefront of our scoring, who's going to be the next one up? We trust Dylan Brooks. Sometimes Jaron floats in and out with his offense, we know. I look at that every game that the, the uh, Warriors play. Look at that box score. Jordan Poole's really, really good in that second unit. Sometimes puts up 20, 25. Who's that guy for us that's going to consistently be an electric guy scoring if those two guys aren't great like they were against Brooklyn? They were great, but they're not going to be great every night. 
And I think one of the interesting things and, and one of the bright spots of the young season so far is that Tyus Jones has showed that he can be that guy, wants to be okay. that guy, and, and has been way more aggressive on the offensive end, getting his shot, not passing up open looks. Um, so I think that, you know, hopefully Tyus is a guy who can step in and, and be a supplemental scorer for you when you need it. Yeah, that's great. And, Zyre, um, keeping on on uh, on Zaire Williams, Xavier, uh, do you feel like uh, he has the offensive firepower to kind of fill that role too? Oh uh, yeah, of course. I saw growth, especially during the summer league and the preseason, to be that playmaker. And it's just not necessarily just being that that scorer. He can get other people involved now. Um, with his passing and his playmaking ability. But, of course, I've seen him work on his game, his ball handling skills coming across the screen to the pull-up mid-range and guys finding him wide open for the three-point shot. That's going to be a big factor for us. Having Zaire as a secret secret weapon basically right now because, I mean, a lot of people have forgotten about Zaire uh, opposing teams because he's out. When he comes back and hopefully, I mean, I'm, we're going to have to give him a while for him to get his groove back. But I can see Zaire being a 15 15 points per game score off the bench and bringing a lot of energy off the bench. I mean, Zaire was, was probably the top lob threat with John Morant out there on the court. So he's going to bring energy. He's going to play defense and he's going to find open teammates. Okay. Today's next topic, a new segment here on the core four what's hot and what's not with the Memphis Grizzlies. So starting with you, Xavier, what's hot about Memphis right now? So what's hot about Memphis, if you've been paying attention, our bench has really been productive. And it's, we've been needing them big time. Guys been in and out the roster. We're averaging 35.5 points per game from the bench. And last night, Tyus had a good game. He started. But you just overall, like you had other guys step up. You had David Roddy. And Tyus has actually been on the streak. He's averaging 15 points per game, five assists, and shooting 55% from the, from the field goal for the past three games. That's huge for your so-called backup point guard. He's not – I mean, obviously we know that he can start for so many other teams. It's a luxury to have ties, ties. But our bench has been very, very dominant to start this season, and I'm happy to see that from, from guys that's really just getting their opportunity right now. I mean, we've had Clark, we've had Clark and Tyus for a while, but LaRavia and Roddy stepping up, I'm impressed, and I'm happy to see that. How about you, Matt? What, what's hot right now with the Grizzlies? Yeah, I mean, we're singing the praises of Tyus. I'm going to stick with that. This lineup where they go with John Tyus on the floor at the same time, I love it. It's been something that they experimented with last year. It's been super effective for them this season. I love when they have the multiple ball handler, handler aspect of having John Tyus on the floor. Something that I want to see going forward or, or am curious to see if they'll ever let Bain kind of get in there and have all three of them on the floor at the same time, I know that 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 puts you at a, a deficit defensively. But I wonder if once Jaron comes back, can they all survive on the floor together? If you have Tyus, Ja, Bain, Jaron, and one other guy, whether it be Zaire or uh, Brandon Clark, Jake Laravia, whoever it may be, a super small lineup where you have Jaron there to kind of bail him out defensively. I, I, I'm looking forward to see if that's something that we see going forward once Jaron comes back, but. As of uh, right now, the way that Ja and Tyus play together uh, on the floor has been really good. It, it allows Ja to play off the ball a little bit more, and they can send him up, um, you know, on the on the weak side for off of coming off ball screens um, and stuff like that. And, and it takes those miles off of Ja 
you know, all that stuff adds up when you're able to get the ball out of his hand for a little bit. And um, they've played really well together so far. So, yeah, I, lo- I love those jaw ties minutes right now. They've been uh, really good for us. That's such a great point, too, about letting Tyus handle that responsibility of getting the ball up the court, getting the team into their offensive sets. It, it, it wears Ja out. I mean, where's any point guard out over the course of a game? So giving Ja just a little bit of time to kind of catch his breath, I think that you're going to see, that's why, Zaire, you mentioned in a previous X and O about his defensive improvement. It lets him focus a bit more about the, uh, transitioning back to defense. Uh, I think that those are both great points. I'll tell you what I was looking at this week, what's hot with the Grizzlies, is Bain's three-point shooting this week was just, just fantastic. Eight for 11 Monday against Brooklyn, six of eight Thursday against Sacramento. You know, three for nine uh, Saturday against Utah, still 33%. wasn't terrible, but for the week, 61%. And if you think about the history of the Memphis Grizzlies, we have been looking for that shooting guard that that could that could just be a sniper. It's so great. You know, he, he's not going to shoot 61% right the rest of the year, but having him find his three-point stroke has been so important. I don't know if he's an all-star level player. A lot of people online are ready to make him an all-NBA all-star player, but he's certainly a really, really valuable part of this team. And when he's shooting the ball from the three-point line like he has been this past week, it just makes us a, a, a much different team. So I think that that's my – that's my what's hot in Memphis this week is Desmond Bain's three-point shooting. And if I could add something, Dave, one of the things that I love the most about his shooting is he's super timely. Like a lot of his big shots are – he realizes, oh, the, the other team just went on an 8-0 run. I have to pull up and hit one to kind of silence him. He's an absolute weapon at the end of quarters and halves. We saw that in the Sacramento game. He hit a big three at the end of the first half. Like those plays change momentum so quickly, and Desmond Bain has a really good knack for making big shots at important times. Yeah, and I just want to add one quick thing. I feel like one reason that he's able to make these shots and he's out of his slump now is because Dylan Dylan Brooks is back in the lineup. He takes a lot of pressure off Desmond Bain. And he's able to penetrate and kick it out to Desmond Bain for that wide open shot. So it's great to see Desmond Bain on the street with scoring 30 points within the past three games. That's pretty crazy to think about it. So, yeah, Desmond Bain has been on a roll. He is most definitely hot right now. Hmm. So, but Xavier, let's turn it around. What's cold in Memphis right now? Uh, What's not working? Knowing from our grit and our grindness and without Jaron, our defense has been very, very skeptical right now. Real, our defensive rating is ranked number 28th in the league at 100, 118. Um, man, um, we're giving up a lot of points inside the paint. I know that's a lot a lot of the reason because of Jaron is out. But even so, we watched last night how Utah just scorched us from the three-point line. We got to find a way to lock in defensively. Um they did it against Sacramento the other night. Literally every single time Sacramento came on a run, T- Taylor Jenkins, TJ would call the timeout and set them aside like, hey, we got to do this. We got to stop this. And they will do it. We'll make a run on our own. own. But we have to find a way to step up and stop the uh, the opposing teams scoring inside the paint. Um, um, uh, Santi has to step up. Santi's average, actually averaging like a block and a half each game. Santi has to step up. He has lint, but at the same time, it, I feel like it's a lot on our wings right now, allowing them to drive inside the paint. Knowing they have to notice and know that Jaron's not back there to to bail you out. You guys have to stop the stop the ball right in front of you. So that's is that is what's most definitely cold right now in Memphis. That that is a great point, uh, Matt. How about you? What, what what's cold in Memphis in addition to the defense? Right now, I've got uh, 
I've got two players that I, I'm not super impressed with um, this early in the season. And, and maybe the Dylan Brooks criticism is, is too soon because he is kind of working his way back from that injury. But the Sacramento game wasn't great. De'Aaron Fox, you know, he, he was matched up on him a lot of the night. And De'Aaron Fox got a lot of whatever he wanted. He was clearly um, able to just get to the rack so much easier. Dylan Brooks clearly um, not 100% healthy yet and couldn't stay in front of a guy. Um, that a lot of guys can't stay in front of. So I, I respect that. De'Aaron Fox is a really good athlete. He's a great offensive player. He can get to the rim at will. So maybe it's a little too soon to hate on him too much on the defensive end. But the shot selection stuff hasn't been great. I know he put up 30 last night uh, against Utah, but some of the shot selection stuff in Sacramento was not good. Dribbling into traffic as well, kind of up, up to his same old tricks. And then Xavier Tillman as well. Uh, it, you know, I'm kind of done with that whole experiment. I'm, I'm ready for him. And I, and I would love for the those two guys to get packaged together in a deal. I think that that's kind of the way to, um, to, to bolster this roster is to move those guys, plus maybe a pick or two uh, to improve that, that wing depth as well. And I think once Jaron comes back, like Tillman's going to be such a non-factor in this rotation as Santi kind of moves back to the bench uh, as LaRavia continues to improve and obviously Brandon Clark's not going anywhere in his rotation spot as well. So I, I, I don't see much of uh, much room for Tillman going forward. And I, I don't really love what I've seen out of him uh, this early in the season as well. Those minutes and the, and the plot plus minus numbers with uh, Tillman and Brandon Clark on the floor together were atrocious. Um, and I think that that played a big factor in him kind of getting his role reduced so far as well as the improvement by Jake Laravia. So Dylan Brooks and uh, Xavier Tillman, just step it up guys. You guys, you guys been cold from Memphis, so that's what I got. Yeah, uh, I, I completely agree. And, and Xavier, I, I put down here uh, for 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 me the defense. It's been terrible. It, it, it's it's been it's been defense that we can't win a championship with, right? Uh, it, it's 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 really got to improve. And of course, not having Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, is a big piece of that, but it's not the only reason it hasn't been very good. So I I agree with both of you guys. I think uh, some of those guys, maybe even in Utah this this weekend. They can package a couple of them with a draft pick. Get my boy Jordan Clarkson. I'm going to keep that. I just, I, tell you, I want Jordan Clarkson coming off that bench, dropping 25. But uh, uh, anyway. yeah, you you've been banging the 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 Jordan Clarkson gong for a while. I wonder uh, since you guys both wanted to talk about the defense. I wonder like the the Sacramento game, Xavier. You brought it up like they ran a lot of guys off the three point line, Santi in particular. But like he every single pump fake he bit on. And I wonder if they almost over-adjusted. And, you, you know, obviously you can't account for what Utah did shooting for the three-point line, but I wonder if that was a little bit of a byproduct of kind of overcompensating for the way that, um, you know, they were biting on every pump fake against Sacramento the game before. And I wonder if that influenced their de decision at all as to how they were playing those guys on the perimeter. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the defense clearly has to step up. Yeah, I, um. Even going to the Utah game last night, um, Taylor Jenkins made an adjustment, made an adjustment and told his players just to switch off the pick and roll because they were killing them, just just casually trying to get on go over or under the pick and roll. So he did that adjustment, but Utah just was just shooting lights off. Laurie Markinen and Malik Beasley and Jordan Clarkson was just not missing last night. But I think as we we say about Jaron being the guy, that's why our defense is terrible right now I mean we look we are basically could be our second best perimeter defender Zaire is out and then Dylan Brooks just came back two two games ago so we have to get our guys our top defensive guys acclimated back and hopefully by the time 
like like we've always been discussing, we want to we want to be playing like a top five defense heading towards the playoffs. Um, we remember last year we were nine and ten our first nineteen games, and our defense wasn't great. We was a middle of the pack defensive team, so it's still plenty of time to turn around. And I mean, we missing guys, but I I, I still have faith that we're going to be a top elite defensive team by the, by the time the season ends. Well, be interesting, right? We have Utah again tomorrow night. See what adjustments they make from Saturday. And then we have Portland Wednesday in Portland. And that is a tough environment, and the Blazers are off to a good start. So to, the, to, to your point about the defense, Xavier, we'll, we'll see uh, you know, how, the, <laughs> how much better we can play on that end because we have a couple challenging uh, games coming up here in the next few days. All right, guys, let's break open the trophy case and hand out some awards for the week. Xavier, what do you got? So I got somebody, a main throwback for the Grizzlies, the Jason Williams Award. A lot of people <laughs> don't understand how valuable Jason Williams was when he came initially for the Grizzlies. He became, he um, was It was a dynamic duo between him and Palgasol with a pick and roll, and Jason Williams was actually pretty high in assist-to-turnover ratio. So I'm giving that to Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones, once again, he averaged 15 points per game, five assists, shot 40% behind the three-point arc these past, this past week. Uh, ties like like we said, like it was just so valuable bringing ties back so he can be on that contract, being that insurance for John Morant. Of course, John Morant wasn't feeling well against that Sacramento game. Ties placed a big minutes, and ties placed a big minutes again yesterday against the Jazz. So, yeah, I've given the Jason Williams award to Ties Jones this week. I think his trophy case is going to fill up this year. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's pretty high. Shout out Stones, Matthew. Shout out Stones. He's racking them up, man. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Give us an award for the week. All right, I got you one here. Uh, I'm calling this one the Batman and Robin Award. All right, follow me here. Coming into the season, we all knew, and after those first couple games, we needed Desmond Bain to step up and be the Robin to Jaws Batman. We needed him to provide some of that scoring and, and, and take the load off of Jaw a little bit after that unbelievable start that Jaw had, but it wasn't sustainable, right? So we needed Desmond Bain to kind of step up and continue to – build on what he did last year and be the second guy um, that can really help this team when, uh, you know, however many games to get to the Western Conference Finals or however far they go, uh, Desmond Bain is going to be a huge part of that. But over the last three games, man, 30 points in each one in the last two, he's been the Batman, you know, with Ja a little, obviously, whatever he was, sick or whatever, wasn't himself against Sacramento. Desmond Bain stepped up in a huge way. And then again against last night against Utah, uh, he stepped up and, and, and he was the Batman. Um, when he needed to be. And, and at times when when Jaws hurt, sick, whatever it may be, Desmond Bain should be able to step up and, and assert himself as the second best player on this team and become the best player in place of Jaws. And when Jaws out there, got to give him a little help from his Robin, uh, Desmond Bain. So I'm giving Desmond Bain the Batman and Robin Award of the Week. Very good, very good. I have a, a favorite jeans award this week here. And uh, yeah, everyone needs a, fair, a, a pair of favorite jeans. Got to be comfortable. And it's to the historically awful Sacramento Kings. Just incredible. All these draft picks all these years, they're so uninspiring. We walked in there Thursday night. Just you know, another win over the Sacramento Kings. It's just unbelievable. And, and now Tyrese Halliburton is going to be a, a star with the Indiana Pacers. And they don't draft Luca. It's just so nice. They're, they're, they're my pair of favorite jeans. You know, look who's on the calendar this week, the Sacramento Kings. So nice to get that win, that win on Thursday night. A any other awards, guys, this week? 
That's it. That's it for me. That's all I got. I got one more if I could here before we go on our next. Absolutely. By the way, man, I'm trying to get in the spirit of this segment here. You know, I didn't. I, I'm trying to get in the feel for what this is supposed to be. So I, I, I think I'm going to give out the speed limit award this week. Love it. You got to slow down. Drive the speed limit. Because, I mean, Santi Aldama is a nice player. But let's just slow down a little bit. You know, let's drive the speed limit on Santi Aldama. He, he's not quite as good as I'm reading online. I mean, he's, you know, he had a nice game Monday against, against Brooklyn. Kind of a quiet, if you will, 17. But the rest of the week, four and two. On uh, Thursday night against Sacramento, 10 and three against Utah. He's averaging 10 and three for the week. He's a nice player, but I think he's a bench player. He's been inserted into the starting lineup because of injuries. And I think he's going to be a good part of the Memphis Grizzlies. But boy, some of the things you read online, like about Santiago Dama, I just think we need to slow down a little bit and, and, and drive the speed limit on Santiago Dama. Enjoy what he adds to the team. But I, I think we got to keep our expectations in check. Xavier, is that fair? I mean, yeah, we've only seen a small fraction from from Santi so far. Um, I know he has he had a great opening night against the Knicks, and like he says, um, I mean, he's averaging ten and three for the week. That's not just elevated, but uh, I mean, as well, like we got to remember that he's most likely is going to go back to the bench once January comes back, and his stats will drop down a little bit more. But I mean, I've 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 been impressed and happy to see what Santi has been doing within the first two weeks and being in a starting role, but I do agree with you at the time, man, like we do need to slow down with Santi a tad bit. Um, I mean, I know that we're excited that we got, we, we've developed another masterpiece and uh, climbing stole another gym with this one. But at the same time, we, we do, we do need to slow a little pace down with Santi. But hey, I- Matt, even like with Kenny Lofton, I, everyone's crazy about Kenny Lofton and he's not getting on the floor. Why not? Okay, I was literally just about to jump in and say the one from the offseason is Kenny Lofton, right? And it's a great award. And this is something I saw somebody saying online a couple weeks ago, and I meant to ask Xavier about it as he has been kind of the Kenny Lofton um, flag waver on this show. Somebody tweeted that I don't think people realize how much the Kenny Lofton thing is like a meme, similar to like Caruso when, when Caruso kind of blew up in L.A. to start. Like everybody was clamoring for him to play more. And it was, and part of it was that he was playing well. Part of it was that it's funny because he's a bald white guy who dunks really well and like plays solid defense. And like people thought that was funny, right? But like it turned out Caruso is a good player. But Xavier, I, I, I want to get your take on it. Like how much percentage of your Kenny Lofton love is actual? You think he's going to be a great player? And how much of it is like a meme? Like, do you, like is it a troll to you? Or you act because people do still are clamoring to see Kenny Lofton play in every game. <laughs> I don't think he deserves to play every game. I mean, it's a realistic reason why he's down there at the G League and they signed him to a two-way contract. But I do think he can be developed to a skilled player. You got to remember, three years ago, John Conchart was actually a mean out there on the court. That's a good Playing point. basketball and look at him now as a valuable role player. The Grizzlies can develop players that's like deep, deep gems. So – I have faith and believe that Kenny Lofton can be be cracked as a rotational guy some sometime, not this season at least, but sometime in the future. But as of right now, I know Kenny Lofton isn't nowhere near as NBA ready as a lot of people think that they think that they are. But at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I want to see Kenny out there because I mean, he reminds me so much, you know, like Zach Randolph, the glory days of the green and grind days, and him being so big and burly. And having a guy out there of his physique is is, is is funny to watch and it's fun to watch. 
Yeah, it, it definitely is. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I was going to say, it's sort of interesting he's not playing, though, right? I mean, Saturday night we were a little undermanned. And I, I thought we would see a little more Kenny Lofton. So I, I think it's interesting that he's not getting on the court. I think they're monitoring his two-way 50-game maximum way more than they are like Vince Williams. Like, I, I truly think that they they look at him as such a development developmental piece for them that they don't want to they don't want to throw him to the wolves as much where like he's going to dominate for the hustle probably. Right. So it's like, don't, don't hurt the kid's confidence this early. Like let's, let's, I, I think that that definitely plays into it is, is just the, the, the nature of his contract and the hand he's been dealt right now. So I don't know. I think once the hustle season kind of gets really rolling, he'll, he'll get plenty of playing time down there. It'll all work itself out. But yeah, I mean, it, it just, you know, Xavier, we've jumped on those like grizzly spaces after games, dude. Like everybody's still talking about it. they want to see Kenny Lofton anytime that he doesn't touch the court. And I, I yeah, I had to get a I had to get a boots on the ground answer on that one. But I, yeah, I think part of it is people think he is going to be a good player. Part of it is it's it's hilarious to watch a get a guy that size and frame out there playing basketball. So especially when they're good, like it it, it just makes it funnier that, that you can't stop a guy that looks like Kenny Lofton. Okay, our final segment for the day, inspired by our buddy on TNT, Charles Barkley. We all make predictions before the season, and now that the season has started to play out, which ones were, as Charles would say, terrible? Just, 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 just terrible. Forgive the, the terrible impression there. Xavier, what, what's been terrible to start the season here? Well, I actually, last week on a past episode, I was talking about how the Kings were going to be pretty impressive and whatnot, but man, I mean, they just got their first win last night against the Heat. That was an actual pretty good win for them, but I thought they was actually going to beat us. But I mean, they played a competitive game, but man, their defense is just atrocious. Sabonis can't guard a lick, a rock on standing on the ground. I don't, I, he's, a very, he's a very skilled big offensively. He's gifted offensively, but defensively, man, you could just run around him. I can, I can score around him. But, yeah, I really thought that Sacramento was going to give us some problems. And really, I mean, Bane and Jai, LaRavian, they all stepped up. Every time they had a little run, like I said, Taylor Jenkins would just call that timeout and we'll go on our run ourselves. And we handled business right there. So, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Kings, of course, they're still mediocre and terrible. Well, I mean, you know, they, they started out 0-4, 0-3 at home, which is inexcusable. And the West is, the West is tough this year. As it has been the past couple of years, uh, Matt. How about for you? What's the uh, I yeah yeah Xavier. I'm glad I almost brought it up earlier because we were talking about Sacramento earlier or whatever. But I think both of us like kind of liked their prospects for the season. I put a bet on them to make the play-in game and the Magic both, and they're both two of the worst teams in the league. So, <laughs> uh, big big miss by me there. And uh, yeah, um, but yeah, a little accountability for me. Hand up. A couple weeks ago, I said Taylor Jenkins was going to be in the running for the coach of the year. And my reasoning behind that was that if you can navigate through this whole Jaron stretch and what turned into Zaire and no Dylan and now Jaws sick, like if you can get through this stretch of such a, a wide, long injury list and you can be successful, like that should put you in the running for coach of the year. However, on the other hand, Something that we never touched on the entire offseason and something I said all of last year, and, like, I don't know why it just, like, slipped my mind, but, like, this offense is still too stagnant, in my opinion. 
Like, there's not really a, a great system. I think Taylor Jenkins is really good at ATOs coming out of the timeout. He can draw up some really nice stuff, but in the you know in, in the average half court possession, there's just too much standing around, looking at each other, waiting for Jaw to do something. And I think that that kind of falls on the coach. And Taylor Jenkins has been an incredible coach ever since he got here. And I don't think people realize that that's another notch on Zach Kleiman's belt is that he picked Taylor Jenkins when nobody else had them as him as a candidate to coach their basketball team. And he's been awesome, and he and he clearly gets through to the guys on the team. But like at some point, you got to have a better offensive system. Like especially when you look in the playoffs, like these super heliocentric offenses, like Luca James Harden has had so many struggles. When you only have one guy dribbling the air out of the basketball, like eventually all those miles start adding up, like we talked about, and it's just hard to be successful in that way. So I just I would like to see more out of Taylor Jenkins offensively to get this team going. You just can't every single night rely on so many turnovers from the opposing team in order to get yourself easy buckets. Like they just work so hard. It seems like to get every shot that they uh, end up converting on, but it still looks just way too hard for them. There's not enough open uh, easy shots in my opinion, in this offensive system that they've run. So I, I yeah, hand up. I don't think Taylor Jenkins is going to win the coach of the year, even if they do have the best record in the West and they're excellent without all these guys on the injury report. Cause in my opinion, if he won it, he shouldn't because the, the offensive thing is is, is broken in, to some degree, and I think they got to get that figured out sometime in the jaw era if they actually do want to win a championship. Great point. Great point. Great point. So for myself here, I, I went into the season thinking that we were going to see a real real good season from the Brooklyn Nets, and, and, and I thought the Lakers were going to rebound because of the core that they have in place. But I, I think I'm starting to realize for sure the super team's era is over. I mean, the, the Nets are one in five. The Lakers are 0 and five. They have no draft picks. The benches are terrible. I mean, you're looking at Kevin Durant, LeBron James. They're at the bottom of their respective conferences right now. And they're fantastic players. And it's just, you know, if you're just looking at one game, they can win one game, right? But their teams just aren't very good. And they sacrifice so much to get those guys. We, we went through this era where we thought, well, LeBron went to Miami with Bosh. Now, oh, my God, Super Team is going to run the league forever. But you look at the standings. Who's in front in Eastern Conference? Milwaukee, Cleveland, Atlanta, Boston. Good draft picks on those teams. Good cultures on those teams. Homegrown. What's that? Homegrown. All of them. Homegrown. You look at the West, Memphis, Phoenix, Portland, Golden State, Denver, right? I mean, these, these teams have draft picks and culture that they built. You can't go out. That's why when they say Durant was available, oh, my God, let's just, you know, let's just send Brooks and Adams and Zaire and Brandon Clark and eight picks and six pick swaps. You know, this is not the way to build a team. I think the super teams era is over. We're seeing a lot of great talent throughout the league. And, and I really misjudged those two teams because maybe I was a little stuck in the past on that. Uh, to me, two preseason favorites, are just, they're just a disaster. And, and, and how much fun has Portland been? How much fun has Utah been? Even Indiana going in the other night and beating Brooklyn. I mean, there's some teams now that are showing some life. And I think that's been a really fun story. And, you know, and we're four and two, and that's nice too. Yeah, I, I want to say, like, I feel like it, it broadcasts of how skilled these young players are coming into the league. Mm -hmm. Another thing, too, is, like, they don't care that they're matched up against Kevin Durant or LeBron James. They're going to go out there and give it their all. Like, yeah, you still – you it might be on your last leg and you're trying to get another ring or two before you retire. But, hey, I'm here. I'm ready to be a star right now. And those young guys, they be running and gunning. And, and LeBron and KD, they can't keep up with them. <laughs> they cannot keep up with them. We're trying to run 40 – 
plus minutes. And it's it's crazy to think Katie and Kyrie is dropping 30 a night and they're still losing. Like that's that's ridiculous. Xavier, it, it's my Penn State theory. I'm from I'm from Pennsylvania. Everyone loves Penn State football, but kids nowadays are 18, 19, 20 years old in college. They don't remember when Penn State was any good. They haven't <laughs> won the national title since 1986. You know, they were a legendary program. Kids now don't care. Yeah. The LSU players don't care. Alabama yeah. players don't care. Penn State hasn't been in a meaningful game in 25, 25 years. You know, so it, it, it's it's I mean, you know, LeBron and, and Durant, these guys are really, really good players, obviously. But uh, they're the best days are behind, they're behind them as, as good as they are. And like to your point, all these great young kids coming in, they're ready to make their own mark. Matt, uh, any any final words on this segment? Yeah, just I, I want to it's a really great point. Like, I, I don't think anybody saw it going this poorly for either of those teams. And it's all about the rosters like it, it's similar to the Rams in the NFL right now who have been struggling. They're so top heavy. They have no depth whatsoever. And that's the that's the problem with the Lakers and the Nets as well. And also, you know, those two teams are the two teams that have had the most drama hanging over their head this season with the Russell Westbrook thing, with what's going on with Kyrie right now. There's so much drama going on behind the scenes for these two teams. That's hard to play basketball when you have all these different questions of non-basketball related things coming at you. Like, so I think it, it, it's part of both of those things. They have a bunch of drama, and they have guys that 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 are making it harder on themselves. And the teams are not constructed well. All these teams that you were just listing at the top of the at the top of the league on both sides, super deep. The Warriors have an incredibly deep team. The the Grizzlies incredibly deep. Denver they can go eight, nine, ten deep like on any given night. That the depth in this league is really important, and it's it can get you through the regular season and have you ready for the postseason because you. Again, I've said it a hundred times on this show, at least. But you take the miles off some of your big guys, man. Like you're, you're just set up for success down the road. No question, no question. Well, that is our show for this week. And before we wrap up today, Matt, where can the listeners find you on social media? At Matt H Gill on all platforms as well. Check out all of the stuff on uh, the Core Four podcast as well on Twitter and everything on GrizzlyBearBlues.com. And Xavier, how about you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter at Zaytom Tick takes and then on my tiktok at underscore xzay so so xavier what are you putting on tiktok so for listeners of the show what kind of material you put on tiktok outside of like you know what you do on the other uh, social media platforms so yeah on my tiktok i do a little bit more in-depth analysis on just other basketball games and other teams um and then as well i mean i post highlights of our show here uh, on 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 my TikTok. So yeah, if you want a little bit more in depth listening of other players and not just Grizzlies basketball, just tune into that TikTok. Yeah. That's why that we have to shave before the show. Right. And actually kind of look <laughs> nice because you, you don't know which clip of the show is going to be on TikTok every week. So yeah, if this was just radio, you know, it'd be a lot easier to get ready for the show. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But you can find me on DLB19338 on Twitter. Don't forget to check out, as was mentioned earlier, the Core 4 each week on Grizzly Bear Blues at the Core 4 Podcast on Twitter. You can always send us questions or topics you would like us to discuss on an upcoming broadcast. Guys, great to be with you again. Four and two off to a pretty good start to the season. We'll see how this next week plays out. We want to thank you for tuning in and being a part of the Core 4, the show for hardcore Memphis Grizzlies fans. Nail, coffin, this baby is over.